John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 is our text. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, some of you may be coming here and this is a surprise to you. Others of you, you knew about this, you heard about it in the news or you were here Wednesday night when we talked about it. We had a question and answer period of time and then we prayed for about a half hour with regard to this situation. We had a young man who was a member of one of our churches out in California in Escondido who perpetrated this terrible deed. And I think we need to think about this and I think we need to examine ourselves before God, I think we need to humble ourselves. I, I went back and forth what to do. I thought, you know, as you can see by the bulletin, I thought we were going to press on. But every morning I woke up, I kept waking up with a sense of grief. It was the first thing I thought about every morning, it seemed like. And I, and I thought this is the wrong thing to do, to just press on like business as usual when something like this has happened. I, I did ask a friend of mine in our presbytery what he was going to do and they were going to continue on. And, and I thought about it and I, I was weighing it, but I just said, no, we cannot do this. We cannot just press on and, and just like pretend that it didn't happen. This, this, this came from us. This, this wickedness came from our own ranks. This is our own church, our own denomination. And a young man raised in the church, raised in a Christian home, raised in, the, in a home of a ruling elder, did this. This man was terribly led astray uh, by dark and, and wicked forces. For those of you who don't know, by this young man's own confession in his seven-page manifesto, he had been radicalized by... Extremist literature on the Internet and in uh, white supremacy. And now I have to confess to you, I had never heard of the websites that were, were listed in the news that apparently were influential uh, in this young man's life for the last year and a half. And maybe as a mercy to us, the young man acknowledged that these things he learned not from his home and not from his church. Though he said he should have from the beginning. And I want to say this tragedy needs to be a wake up call. For us as a church. In, in many respects, number one, wickedness within us is great. I don't think any of us should come away from this thinking this could never happen to me or this could never happen in this congregation. Lincoln Duncan has said, and I think rightly, we have more evil within our own heart that we could destroy the world three times over. And we need to realize that the problem isn't just out there and it's not just on the Internet, but I'm going to deal with that in a minute. But that the problem is within our own heart. And, and the only solution to the darkness of our own depraved, depraved nature is Jesus Christ. And his perfect life and his substitutionary death on the cross for us, that only that blood can wash away that kind of wickedness, that kind of murder that resides within us. And we need to realize that that young man 
is not alone in his murder, but we are murderers. The Bible says you and I have murdered that if anybody is angry with another unrighteously, unjustly, if we should say even so much as you fool, we are worthy of eternal fire. I think it's a wake up call to us. That also this young man came from the home of an elder. And, and I think I say this as an elder to my fellow elders here this morning. We have got to examine our own homes. We need to be shepherding our own homes first. You and I cannot shepherd others if we're not shepherding those in our home. Now, I don't know what happened. And I, I'm, I'm trying as best as I can to suspend judgment. The Bible says that by the measure we use, so shall it be measured unto us. And I don't know. I'm like you. I'm just simply asking the question, how did this happen? How did it escape the notice? Was there no signal? Did did nothing ever leak out of this young man's mouth that sounded anti-Semitic? That could have been dealt with in 18 months. I don't know. But something went wrong, horribly wrong, and it was missed. And I say that not in, in, in looking down I, at whatever the shepherding was going on. I'm just saying, brothers, my fellow elders, get busy about shepherding and get in the business of your kids and know what's going on. Know what they're looking at on the Internet. And don't be turning a blind eye to anything. You know, I talked to one minister from that region and, and who is very familiar with the, the church himself. And, and you know, I, I said, what's the takeaway? And he said, get, get in your kids' business is the takeaway. And, and he said, you know, we have a thing set up on our computer where every keystroke is recorded. And my wife and I can look at every everything that is searched and, and typed by anyone in the family. Because we believe it's important to have that kind of oversight over over the technology that's now available to us. It's a great blessing, but apparently also it can lead to great evil. We need to watch our kids closely. We, we need to know what's influencing them. This man was, as one of our own elders said this week, as we were texting about this among ourselves, that clearly there, were, there was somebody, some people out there that were influencing this young man more than their home, more than their church. And we need to be aware. You know, I, I have to confess, I think I've done a fairly good job in warning from the pulpit about pornography. I don't think I have done a good job with extremist literature. I didn't realize that this would be a problem like this. Uh, maybe I just took it for granted that that you would see nuts for nuts and it wouldn't have any influence. But apparently we do need to warn ourselves about extremist literature, extremist views. And what are some of these views? Let me talk to you young people. They're views that, that say that a certain ethnicity is superior to others. That somehow, you know, God is 
chosen a certain ethnicity of Anglos to be superior to all others. Brethren, that is not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible says that every ethnicity has come from Adam and Eve. And, and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need the gospel. And, and that, that it is by the grace of God that any culture should be blessed. And that, that, that every ethnicity, every tribe, every tongue should turn to Jesus Christ. And that before history comes to a conclusion, Jesus will leaven Africa, Asia, South America, Central America, North America, the whole world. Jesus will, by his grace. If you think there's going to be an absence of color in heaven, you are going to be in for a shock when you get there. Because God, in his unity in Jesus Christ, loves the diversity. And so we need to be aware of those who would promote views uh, that certain of Adam's children are superior to others. We need to, I think, also revisit texts such as this one here. Uh, because what, what ultimately is the gospel about? Paul tells Timothy, what is it about? Our end goal is love, that we would love God and love our neighbor. And clearly, that did not penetrate this young man's thinking and heart. That this man had been overcome by a hatred that led him to murder. And I want to talk a little bit with you here from John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ. They've completed the Passover meal. Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. He's washed the disciples' feet. He's given the morsel of bread as a sign of Judas's treachery. And we should realize that as Jesus was betrayed by Judas, we have been betrayed by this act of evil. And that this was this was something that is a part of our faithfulness to Jesus Christ, that we would be betrayed by some. And here is the Lord Jesus. He's reclining at the table. His beloved disciple resting his head upon his breast. He's comforting them with instruction about his own departure. They're sad that Jesus keeps saying he's going to leave them, but he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. And Jesus does something, boys and girls, that you, you have experienced probably when your parents go out. And your parents go out maybe for dinner one night and maybe a babysitter or an older sibling is going to watch everything. And what do, what do your parents always say to you before they leave? They, they, they exhort you, don't they? Be good. Love one another. Right? And Jesus, in a sense, is doing that. I'm leaving. Be good. And love one another. Look at verse 34 in our text. Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. 
A new commandment I give you. Now, some of you may wonder, why is this a new commandment? Doesn't the law in the Old Testament instruct us in that? And the answer is, well, yes. The Bible said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But Jesus here, I think, goes further in the understanding of the second great commandment by defining the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of this love. In that he says what? That you love one another even as I have loved you. It's not just that you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, notice here Jesus is saying you love others as I have loved you. I think Jesus is taking this Second greatest commandment even further. And what, how is it that Jesus is loving them? He's loving them by laying down his life for them on the cross. So, for example, in John chapter 15, in verse 9, we see the love which the eternal father has loved the son. That love, Jesus, the son, has for the disciples. Look at John chapter 15, verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And now Jesus here is saying they, the disciples, have to abide in the love of the Father and the Son and love one another. This command is reiterated In verse 12 and 13, chapter 15, verse 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Christ is clearly defining his love here is a love which lays down his own life for them. He is going to give up his life on the cross. He is going to suffer the wrath of God to pay for their sins, sins which he didn't commit but that he will take that, that penalty and he will sacrifice himself. Jesus is denying himself supremely for the sake of others, for the sake of you, for the sake of me. Jesus Christ is going to lay down his life. This is the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so as we receive the gospel and the love of God in Jesus Christ there. By we love others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul defines love for us. 1 Corinthians 13. And the reason Paul does this is because while the Corinthian church was awash in gifts, it was struggling with love. It was divided. Uh, There was turmoil in the worship services at the Lord's table. There was sex developing. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. There was strife and envy. And and Paul says, you you guys have many gifts, but there's something more important. And that is love. He says, if I have the gifts, verse two of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love. He says, I am nothing. If we don't have love for people, our faith is useless. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned and yet do not have love, it profits me nothing. You see, love must be there if you have an evangelical faith. 
And the absence of love is the absence, demonstration of the absence of true faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ. What does this love look like? Verse four, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul in Ephesians 4 verse 3 said, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace or that of mutual love and concord. First John chapter two, verse nine and ten. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. First John chapter three, verse 15 says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We see the love of Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter one, verse 16, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Love is patient, we see. Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing fair forbearance to one another in love. Again, the connection between patience and love. Love, we see, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, is kind, meaning we are kind to others. Benevolent, we show God's benevolence towards others, his goodness. God causes it to rain upon the unrighteous and the righteous. And that's what this young man, one of the many things this young man forgot, didn't he? God is good. To whether you're a believer or a non-believer, God gives a host of good gifts and blessings. You know, the, the Bible said that we are not to be pulling up the tares in this world. God will have a judgment day. But we, in the meantime, we show the love and the beneficence of God in this world. In the hopes that they will see the love of Jesus Christ and be pointed to the cross of Christ and trust in Jesus Christ and be delivered from that day that is coming. A day of judgment. Jesus Christ entered into the affections of others. We are to Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Christ rejoiced at the wedding of Cana. You'll remember when the wine gave out, Jesus gave an abundance of the best wine. Christ wept at the tomb of Lazarus. So Jesus rejoiced with those who were rejoicing and he wept. Loving one another in Jesus Christ means we enter into Christ's humiliation. What is it that... Jesus does to show us his love chiefly. It's the cross. And, and, and what does Jesus say we must do as believers who disciples of his? We take our cross and we follow after him. And what is the cross, boys and girls? It's it's an instrument of death. It's it's self-crucifixion. It's it's dying to self. And that as we die to ourselves, we bring life to others. We serve one another. As Christ served us. 
It, it means that we must humble ourselves. We cannot be proud. Love does not brag. We are told in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is not arrogant. You must be as little children or you will not enter the kingdom of God. Loving as Christ love means we set aside our own will, our own preferences. For the sake of peace and ministering to others. Many times Jesus surely must have wanted to simply have dinner and rest. And yet the multitudes crowded in on him for healing, for preaching. No doubt Jesus sometimes wanted to stay in bed after a long night of ministry. And yet he arose early in the morning to pray for us, his church. Loving one another as Jesus loved us means we enter into the death of Jesus. As Christ died on the cross, we who are united to Christ's death demonstrate that in our own life. Romans 6 says you are buried with Christ in baptism. You are raised with him to newness of life. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul roots the command to selflessness in the humiliation of Christ. Look at Philippians 2 with me. Philippians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Notice here at verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of what? Of love. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And what does he say? He says, don't do anything from selfishness or empty conceit. Humility of mind, regard others or another as more important than yourself. And what does he root that in? What's that exhortation rooted in? It's rooted in the death of Jesus. Look at verse 6, because he says, even though he, Jesus, existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, not of his divinity, but of his kingly prerogatives. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. So what Paul is saying here is, where do you get the strength to love? Where do you get the strength to deny yourself? Where do you get the strength to be patient and kind with others? I get it by looking at the cross. And this is what I want you young people to see. This is what makes the Lord's Supper so important, because we're always putting the cross of Christ before your eyes every Sunday. Because it, it is only as you look in faith to the death of Jesus Christ that you, by the Spirit, will gain the grace that you need to die. To love others. You see, the problem with this young man is he did not behold the death of Jesus Christ by faith. He never laid hold of Jesus on the cross and the significance of it. He might have intellectually understood it in the way that the devil does. But he did not lay hold of it by trusting in the death of Jesus Christ for himself. By faith, we are united to Christ. That's why, boys and girls, it's important that you, you try as God gives you grace, that you seek to be in union with Christ by faith. 
that, that you look upon that baptism in, with which you were buried, that, that you were united to the death of Jesus. You were raised in the resurrection of Christ. And you, you look to what Jesus has done for you as who you fundamentally are. I wonder, you know, if this man had meditated more on the death and the resurrection of Christ on his behalf, if he would have been more inoculated from extremist views who said, well, who you are is based on some kind of DNA thing. Who we are is who we are in Christ. This is why it's more important that, boys and girls, that you marry somebody who loves Christ. It's more important than you marry somebody who shares the, your faith in Christ than shares your ethnic background. Because that's most fundamentally who we are. Bible says we're seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies. We, we, we participate in the humiliation of Christ. But we also participate in the exaltation of Christ by the Spirit. And that union with Jesus Christ defines us and it enables us to love. I don't know if there's any uh, studies by George Barna or anybody else who studies missiology and church planting and stuff like that. But my own anecdotal sense of why church plants fail often is a lack of love. Uh, A lack of love um, for one another. For, for those that they're seeking to serve. Um, I don't know that I can prove it. I remember many years ago, our denominational magazine, New Horizons, pointed to that. We had a mission work out in Utah. Of course, Utah's Mormon country in many ways. And the mission work failed and the magazine went on to say that it, it wasn't because of any pressure exerted from the outside. It wasn't because they found the cultural just impenetrable to the claims of Christ and, and simply they couldn't get along with each other. It's kind of a sad thing to have to put in the denominational magazine. Christ's love for his people, for his church, is the standard of our love for each other and for the world. Because the death of Jesus Christ, as people who believe in the free offer of the gospel, if Christ has died for all insofar as the gospel is to be preached to all, then we too lay down our lives, not only for one another, but for the whole world. 
I don't know if this man had a very insulated view of, of love. He was confined to the covenant community of Christians. But surely this, these verses here, which, yes, are directed to the love among brethren in the church, can be applied outside of the church because Christ has loved sinners. And has died for those who are still yet outside the church, that they might be brought in. And therefore, even as we are commanded here to love one another, that is not to be understood as exclusive of loving people outside the church. We are told in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Romans 4, 5 says, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is reckoned as righteousness. Jesus died for the ungodly. Jesus died for those outside his church. That they would be brought into his church. He His death is directed towards those who by nature are unlovely, unkind, immoral, liars, blasphemers, idolaters, adulterers, thieves. The divine love of Jesus Christ is directed towards those who by nature are unrighteous. And thereby we are to understand how extensive and overwhelming this command of Jesus Christ is that we should love one another. When we think about the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of Christ's death and sacrifice and his love for us, it should give us a sense of our very finite strength and capacity and how much we need Christ to give us the love that we're commanded to show others. There should be a sense that we should despair within ourselves that we will ever love anybody and that we need to go to the gospel, we need to go to Christ. For the grace that we need to lay down our life. We need to understand that. We're not supposed to come away from this message thinking, oh, I can do that. And we're supposed to come away from this message thinking, Lord, give me help. Give me grace. I cannot do this. I cannot love like that. I can't love others as you have loved me. And yet that is the standard, isn't it? Where are we going to go to find help in obeying such a high and a holy command? We have to go to Christ himself. We have to go to the Lord and ask the Lord for grace to love. We have to pray for the grace to love. We cannot fulfill this command in our own strength. We have to bow our heads and ask for the strength to warmly embrace the whole body of Christ and those outside of Christ. If we're going to find the strength to mortify selfishness that says no to self and yes to others. Paul said, I buffet my body to make it my slave. He says, what is it that James says, what is it that causes divisions and quarrels among you? It is the lust of your own heart that wage war in your own members. And so if we are going to exercise obedient, evangelical love towards others, We have to experience evangelical love ourselves. We have to receive evangelical love and the grace of God in Jesus Christ.
And how do we get that? We through the ministry of the spirit. The spirit is given. Notice here what Jesus says again in our text. Even as I have loved you, that you love one another by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. You have love if you have love for one another. And where where do we get that love? Well, we get it from the spirit. Jesus is leaving physically, but he is leaving the disciples his spirit. If you see in the very next chapter, verse chapter 14, verse 26, in the same discourse, Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You have heard that I say to you, I go away, I will come to you. How is he going to come to them? He's going to come to them by the way of the Holy Spirit. Let me close by this. 1 John chapter 4 Verse 10 and 11 in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Brethren, I think we need to think on this. This week, I'm going to say more about this in the afternoon service. We're going to continue to look at these two verses here after The Lord's table. But I want you, along with myself, to think on the love of the Lord this week. Something went terribly wrong with one of our members. Maybe maybe you're struggling to love. Maybe you've been tempted to strange And terrible views. Maybe the Lord is using this message to correct you and in a way that you were you weren't where that guy was, but you were in a more subtle place. And and maybe one of the good things that God can bring out of all of this is some kind of reformation in your heart, my heart. in, In the life of his church, in the life of this denomination of ours. Let's pray that he does so. Let's pray together.